0: This is Our Voices on the Yard. Welcome to Our Voices on the Yard, where Black artistic excellence meets everyday life. I'm your host, Denise Woods, and I'm gonna take you from the Black church to the bright lights of Broadway, from tiny music studios to the mega stages of international opera houses, from rustic dance studios to ornate vaudeville theaters, Join me as we explore and celebrate the achievements of the Black artists that attended conservatories and fine arts programs around the world. Starting with my very own, the Juilliard School. This is Our Voices on the Yard. Hi, I'm Denise Woods, and welcome to Our Voices on the Yard. Today, our guest is the Brianna Sinclair. I am so honored to feature this woman, opera diva extraordinaire, because she is the first of this season to have not graduated from Juilliard. The rest of my guests are friends. She is, I can't say she's a student because I didn't teach in the opera division, but she is a wonderful example of how two spirits can come together and just forge an everlasting bond and friendship. I was teaching at California Institute of the Arts. I was on faculty there from 2000 to 2012. I actually left Juilliard to head the speech department at CalArts. That's a wonderful story how I was prompted to leave Juilliard because everybody thought, you're leaving Juilliard? How do you leave Juilliard? Say, listen, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. (laughs) And not just a wonderful offer, but who wouldn't choose to live in sunny Southern California? Who wouldn't choose to go to an institution of higher learning? That was completely the antithesis of my experience at the Juilliard School as a student and as a faculty member, because I was on faculty at Juilliard for eight years. And then twelve years at Cal Arts, and it was the Cal Arts experience that made me say, "It's time for me to move on." I, I there's one thing about me that is very inconsistent. There's one thing about me that is very consistent. The one thing that you can bet on, the one thing that never changes, and that is. I'm always changing. You can bet on it. I am always changing it up. And so I just knew I needed to change up my environment. And California Institute of the Arts prides itself on its avant-garde experimental approach to the performing arts. And that spoke to me. After coming from a very traditional approach, that wonderful aesthetic spoke to my heart and then I had the wonderful opportunity to meet some of the most eclectic students and not to say Juilliard students weren't eclectic because yes we had our share. Also when I became faculty member at Juilliard and at Arts, a lot of the students heard about me and would come and seek me out and I became the mentor of students that weren't even in the theater department, weren't even in the drama division, weren't in the theater school. They were just good, solid people who were looking for some mentorship. Not all of them were African American, but there was one person who came to me and actually did not come to me. Let me preface that by saying we met in the hall. And I said, there's something really interesting about this woman. And the wonderful thing about this woman was that she's transgender. And it was the first time I had ever met a transgender woman. And I just loved her immediately. I loved how brave she was. Just from our first conversation. And then when I told other students that I had met this incredible woman, they said, but Denise, do you know her story? And I said, they said, okay, well, we won't tell you her story. We'll wait till she tells you. And she told me her story. And she's going to tell you. <laughs> you thought I was going to tell you the story. Uh-uh. You got to watch the podcast to hear the story. She's phenomenal. She's an incredible opera singer who lives in San Francisco, has had an extraordinary career as an opera singer, not without challenge, because not only is she met with the opposition of being a woman of color in the classical world. But she's also met with the fact that she's a transgender woman in the opera world. So I thought she would be a wonderful transition into our second season where I am going to open up the conversation beyond the walls of Juilliard. And so she's going to be the introduction to Beyond the Walls of Juilliard to California Institute of the Arts. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brianna Sinclair. Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is the amazing opera singer. I don't want to say diva because diva takes on this negative connotation these days because there's nothing negative about you. There's nothing... Glorious about you. You are so humble and so uh, uh, such a gentle and kind spirit. This is Brianna Elise Sinclair, and she is an opera singer of some repute. And I'm just honored to have you in this space. This space is called Our Voices on the Yard, and that yard can be Juilliard, which is where I went, can be Cal is where <laughs> you went, and and I taught, but that yard could also be at an HBCU. And, and it doesn't even have to be a yard for the classics or for the arts. It's our gathering place. And in these gathering places, there are certain people that stick out. And you are one of those people for me, Miss Sinclair. And so my question, the first question that's going to be launched for the day to get us into this wonderful discussion is, You were written up in the New York Times in July, 2019, and you were featured (laughs) in an article called Opera Singers Finding Their Voice, Transgender Opera Singers Finding Their Voice. I wanna know, have you found your voice?
1: Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast, Um, Denise. You have been such a light in my life during my schooling at CalArts. And I'm just so grateful that this camaraderie and this mentorship is still going and alive. (laughs) But yes, I think now I have found my voice. It's taken many years to get to where I am today. Um, Lots of hard work, lots of persistence. I've dealt with a lot of situations both positive and negative but it really has made me who i am today as an artist and as a singer and you know i've realized as a singer my job is to bless the audiences and that's my job you know and at the end of the day i know people see a lot of opera singers in huge gowns and this but you know my performance is a message. And what is that message being shared to audiences? And I, I think now I found my voice. But, you know, I think as human beings, we're continually growing. We're continually evolving. I really do feel like I'm at a good place in my life, despite all of the struggles that I've been through.
0: You... You you talk about the struggles and we'll get into it. Right now I I wanna I wanna talk about the triumphs (laughs) because it's just been wonderful to see your trajectory. How did you know? How did you know that you knew that you knew that it was going to be opera? Like you knew that you were a storyteller, you knew that you were a performer. Why opera? How did opera come how did opera find you? Well,
1: you know, I grew up, you know, in a family of music. Everywhere I turned around, my father would play like the organ or the piano or he played the drums. You know, my mother played the cello and the flute part time. My grandmother, she was the one who took me to a lot of concerts mm-hmm. um by uh by Morgan State University. Oh and the director well, great. Nathan Carter. Wait a minute. Baltimore, <laughs> wait a minute. Are we talking Baltimore? Baltimore Yes, Baltimore, Maryland. Yes. Yes, I <laughs> <Yeah, sorry. laughs> So I grew up in Baltimore, you know, my grandmother would take me to these concerts and she would take me to see operas. And I think she wanted her grandchildren to be very open to all kinds of music Mm. and to listen to all kinds of music. I was five years old and I told grandma, Grandma Kathleen, (laughs) she is such a sassy woman. (laughs) People make jokes because we act just alike, you know, because she's a diva. She's a true diva. (laughs) Um, that I respect. Mm -hmm. And so I saw Madame Butterfly, Puccini's Madame Butterfly, and I told my grandmother, I said, this is, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And, you know, I was really young and she kind of was hesitant that this was the choice that I want to do. But she introduced me to a lot of great African-American opera singers, George Shirley, and oh. uh, who was the first African-American male tenor to sing at the Metropolitan Opera House. Of course, Leontine Price, the goddess, Jesse Norman, but she would play those at her home when she would babysit me and my brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I was so bad and I was so loud and I was just dramatic all the time and it was classical music that actually soothed me it actually calmed me down. <laughs> <laughs> and so ever since then, and I naturally could sing. Like I, it's, it's right interesting when you hear a lot of great singers, whether it's pop music, country music, whatever, all of us have started in the church of some sort. Mm-hmm. I started singing in the church at new shallow Baptist church. And I sing my first solo. What a fellowship. And, I didn't know what was going on because I was so young, but I saw these people like shouting and you, know, rolling on the floor, and uh, Pastor Harold A. Carter went up to my mother and said, "Your child has a gift, and you need to protect that gift." And, you know, and I didn't realize it at the time, but throughout my like, middle school years and my high school years, I was asked all the time to sing at church or at like the final prayer or whatever. But yeah, it was my grandmother who really instilled in me the importance of doing great things and being successful and living in your truth. And she allowed me to just be who I am when I was with her. But also, she displayed to me black excellence mm-hmm. throughout my childhood. And and when I saw Leontine and, and Jesse and Grace Bumbry and all these great opera singers, Shirley Barrett. You know, on television, Shirley Barrett and stuff, I looked at them and I said, you know, wow, like if seriously, if they can do this, I can do this too. And I know that sounds cliche, but it really birthed in me a new evolution. How
0: old were you when you sang, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on these everlasting (laughs) arms? I, Uh,
1: I was 13 when I sing that song. What and voice
0: were you? Were you a tenor? Were you... Where, where did your voice live? When did you develop the upper portion of your register professionally?
1: Uh, professionally, so when I got my master's degree from the conservatory... Let's go back. The conservatory of what? <laughs> yeah, so I got my master's from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Huge. And um, nice. when I... With my master's. Yes, and I was the only trans woman in the master's degree program. And when I graduated in its history? my wait a
0: minute, in its history.
1: Yes, at the at the San Francisco Conservatory. Yes. Wow.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Phenomenal. Yes. And Compatible. so they've had yes, yes, and so you know they've had uh, you know trans composers and instrumentalists. But yeah, I was in the master's degree department. And when I graduated, Shari Greenewald, who was at that time the artistic director of the Maryland program at the San Francisco Opera, she took me in as her student and I studied with her for about three years. And she said, girl, you have all this range. What are you doing with this range? Because nice. <laughs> she heard me saying like to the stratospheres of my voice. And she said, girl, you are not an alto. You're not a metal soprano. I don't know who told you that, but you are a soprano. And so ever since then, she kind of pruned the voice, made sure I took care of it. And yeah, from then on, I really have found like my sound, you know.
0: Uh, that's just wonderful, sweetheart. <laughs> do, you, do you go back to your church roots? Do you go back to the roots that, that you grew up with?
1: Well, I haven't been back home in a while since I transitioned. I have been to D.C. because I had a couple of gigs, but I stayed with my uncle. But that was kind of like a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have time to really like see all of my family and go to, you know, the church services. But now that my father and our relationship is still growing and getting better, I think the next time I would probably you know, go to a church service with you know, my father. That would be great. Family members.
0: That would be wonderful. I saw on Facebook you you were talking about the relationship with your father is being restored and I'm so, so happy. I'm so happy for you, you, sweetheart. Tell me a bit more about what you've accomplished in the opera world because it's a major, major feat as a singer, let alone a
1: classically trained singer. What has that been like for you? You know, it has been, I am so grateful and I will always be grateful for all of the opportunities that come my way. And I do not take these opportunities for granted. My opportunities as a trans woman, I always say this, are very slim. My opportunities are extremely slim.
0: Let's take a little deeper dive into that. Opportunities being slim because of prejudice, because of preconceived notions of what, people think you are not able to do. You're in San Francisco. If ever there was a town that could be inclusive of the LGBTQ community it's San Francisco, I, I can't, I mean, yes, I can, but, you know, just for the sake of argument, I can't imagine that in San Francisco, you're running into that level of, of obstacles still.
1: Well, you know, yeah, well, San Francisco is like the LGBTQ like literally the LGBTQ Mecca of the world yes. you know i always say that we live in a cage because <laughs> you know um a gilded cage dog. <laughs> yeah it's a yes yeah, a gilded studded cage <laughs> <laughs> i think in regards to classical music it is very it's a very conservative genre and um you know, I'm grateful that, you know, I sing at the Norse Theater in San Francisco. I sing at the Le- Lincoln Theater in Washington, D.C. Mm. I sing at the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles. And I get very emotional because I still can't believe, you know, um, this journey that I've been on. But I think also the challenges are like my ability. I think because of my circumstances, because of who I am as a trans woman, I think there, there are doubts. And so I think for me as an artist, I really do have to not go the extra mile in my performance and learning my music, but also go like the second and third mile. So so that people w- w- know and understand that like I am capable of doing this work. I think these challenges that I've been maneuvered through Has really given me character and it's really made me who I am today. I'm just still in awe of where I am and where God and the universe has taken me. You know, I just feel like there's been angels of protection.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely, sweetheart. But you have an incredible work ethic. I mean, just thank you, a beast. And just having... Well, we're both Virgos. Yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) See, now see, there you go. (laughs) Having worked with some of the most successful folks in Hollywood, it requires that type of work ethic. It just requires, because it seems to me that no matter what stage you get in, in the game, in the industry, in the business there's always going to be yet another hurdle to get over, no matter where you are, unless, of course, you're, you know, white male, privileged, you know, come from money. But barring that, every stage of the career, there is a hurdle. Find that being a woman of color and a transgender woman of color, it's, it's a double whammy,
1: would you say? I mean, like it is. Um, and I think sometimes, especially in the entertainment industry, we are pigeonholed to only trans roles. Yeah. And so it, it can be very exhausting because I don't want to sing and relive my trauma over and over and over and over. Oh, no, A wish
0: list. What do you have on your list of roles that <laughs> you absolutely will play? Not want to play, but will
1: play. Tosca. Oh. Yes, I would love to play the soprano diva, oh. <laughs> Tosca. Um, I would love to play um, Rosaka, Dvorak's Rossaqa, which is about uh, mermaid nymph. Oh, as you know, I'm ups-
0: <laughs> I know it.
1: Yes, Moon is like the favorite aria yeah. um, performed by soprano. What else? Beautiful uh,
0: opera, beautiful opera. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> are you working on these roles? Like in the meantime, what do you do in the meantime? Because the pendulum will shift. It, it It has to, yeah, it will, and so, in the meantime,
1: what does one do? What does an artist do? What do you do? Well, continually, you know, I try to keep my voice warmed up at all times, so when I do have the time off i 'm spending time. Working on my voice, working on different sounds, different vowels, mm. learning new repertoire because, you know, I do get a lot of gigs where I'm asked to perform for specific events. And so I, I want to broaden my repertoire so audiences, and not just audiences, but like directors and people will see that I am not limited in just a specific song or a specific aria, um, I was asked to sing with the International Pride Orchestra next summer. And I'm so excited. And they asked me <laughs> to sing three selections. And so I picked a, a French piece from the Tales of Hoffman. It's, it's called, uh, it's a long title. <laughs> but I just started. So. Okay. But I'm going to work on this. <laughs> it's a very lengthy, long aria. And I figured this would be a position where I can show Folks, that I can sing other works. And it's a very difficult aria. Jesse Norman has sung it. Um, And um, so I'm going to sing that for the big performance. And, uh, but yeah, I just, I'm starting new voice lessons with my new voice teacher because my previous voice teacher, Shari, whom I love so much, Mm -hmm. um, she had to move back to Ohio because of the whole COVID situation. So, um, she recommended me another coach that's going to continually guide me and make sure that I sing healthily. So I actually start back in October. <laughs> so, yes. So I'm just, I continually just keep the voice and I, you know, warmed up. I study. Mm-hmm. I study singers. I, you know, on my own timing, I try to, like, you know, get DVDs of operas and just watch full length operas and just know. You know, just be immersed in it so I'm ready when I go on my own. Yes.
0: If you could name or isolate (laughs) one particular scenario or time in your life almost broke you, an incident or time in your life that really just you were at your Mm -hmm. lowest ebb and you were able to work your way through it with the help of God and friends, family either birth family or acquired family, because I know you've acquired quite a few parents and <laughs> that, and family members along your journey. But is there a particular time? Because for me, every time when I ask this question, one comes to me in my lifetime that almost got me, almost brought me to my knees. But it was, it was really my faith and my family and my friends that helped me. Did me up, so is there an incident that you can share oh, well
1: there's many inc- <laughs> incidents, but you know, I think when I was homeless in New York City in 2010, I thought my life was was done. It was over. there was no need for me to sing. And it was a very trying time, you know, sleeping on subway stations and scrambling for money. And I dealt with a lot of abuse. And, you know, I was raped in New York City a couple of times. And so, and I think these experiences, I just thought like, you know, I'm a living statistic of what trans women go through on a daily basis. You know, I was terrified. And that when Chris... He was the person that flew me back to California to finish CalArts. <laughs> I'm so grateful for him. He was like an angel. I mean, him hearing me sing, because he heard me humming in a convenience store. And he was like, my goodness, you have a beautiful voice. I'm like, well, I'm just humming. <laughs> so- mm-hmm. <laughs> I told him my story, my situation Who's and trip? everything. You- um, Can you tell us who he- Chris is? <laughs> Yeah, so Chris was just a random stranger in New York City what? that paid for my ticket back to California to complete my schooling at Kyle Arts Because I was there for the summer to study music, but I, I was having a difficult time getting a job. All my money was gone, and then I was staying at a friend's house, but the roommate was uncomfortable. Who was, he was a straight male.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
1: was very uncomfort- uncomfortable of me living there. And so they threw all my stuff out, you know, and I just pulled the suitcase out, grabbed three dresses and a purse. And I was literally homeless for three months. I told my family I was trans at the time and they kind of just, yeah, uh, disowned me. And I had to fight to survive. And so Chris, from by the grace of God, wrote me a check. I paid for my ticket back to to school and I finished my schooling.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, sweetheart. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. How many years did you have to go at
1: CalArts to finish it when you finally came back? I had, yeah. Yeah, I had one more year. (laughs) One more year left. That was it. And I remember Chris... He sent me a text message. He said, all I want is to see your degree. And so I texted my degree and he was so proud and, and it just happened. And now I'm here and I just sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, wow, like I just cannot believe what God and the universe has done, you know. This is just amazing, sweetheart.
0: How are you able to keep going in in all kinds of adversity. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that because, uh, baby, we hear stories all the time of the atrocities that trans women have to endure, particularly trans women of color, black trans women to just be up close and personal. I just want our audience to sit inside your shoes for the next 45 minutes because when we can, when we feel a bit like we can walk in someone's shoes, it's, it's called empathy. You know, I, I wanna mm-hmm. be able to go through what you went through because when I met you at CalArts, no, you never <laughs> did take a class of mine. Unfortunately,
1: I didn't work with the singers at CalArts, but we met in the hall. Because yeah, we met in the heart. That's what I'm saying. Because it was a movement class. I was in a yes, movement class in that that's room, right. and I left. And your class was coming. Was up, coming
0: in. We were coming in. You were coming in. Out of the movement class out. I was coming into my <laughs> class, and I thought, Who is this amazing, beautiful woman? I don't know where you were in the transition process at the time, but my heart just went to you because I felt your spirit. I felt your your, are just, you need to be seen and heard. And every chance I got to come and be with you, I, I saw you perform and I was blown away. The voice that came out <laughs> and, and, and so be, began a, a wonderful friendship that I don't know a lot of the opera singers at, at CalArts. I knew a lot of the <laughs> opera singers at Juilliard, but I didn't know a lot of the opera singers at CalArts because we were all the way on the other side of the building. And um, the, wow. the actors. And so when I met you, I really felt privileged. And I knew that it was a relationship that was going to last a lifetime. I just want people to walk a mile in their imaginations in your shoes. And so I want to go back and, and I, I want to talk about the time you got over to, back to California. What were you thinking? How this... Perfect stranger in a convenience store, probably in New York is a yes. bodega. In a bodega. Walks up and see, hears you humming, and says, You you gotta be sick. And as fate, as God, as the universe would have it, you're you've got a ticket in your pocket and right back to California where you were supposed yeah. to be to complete your education. Yeah. Did it fortify your strength and your belief in your faith? Did he put wind in your
1: sails? It did, you know. And I think anyone who goes through a specific amount of trauma, you know, you really have to like decompress. Because I had to decompress the situation, and you know, all my cool, you know, all my friends at Cal Arts were like, Brianna, are you okay?" You know, because Jacoby and. Uh, And so many other amazing folks and Tatiana, you know, they were all kind of, yes, (laughs) they were, you know, these people, you know, this family, I created a a huge family at CalArts that really were worried and concerned about me because my family weren't concerned. They, They were pretty much out of my life at that point.
0: Sure. But
1: it did give me the drive to keep going. And around 2010, that's when I started to actually fully start to transition full time. Um, and so, and that's when, you know, I started hormone therapy and, and all of that. And I remember going to Vaughn's picking my first, uh, picking my hormones from the pharmacy it was my first uh thing of hormones and Jacoby took me there (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we celebrated in the parking lot and it was such a joyous moment because I felt like I went past a hurdle, you know, and I survived the trauma, um, that I experienced. And I think once I started transitioning around that time at CalArts, that's when I decided I wanted to sing soprano, um, uh and i know paul berkolds in the voice department i guess they were all shocked and they were kind of like you really think you can do this <laughs> you know your final year at CalArts and i said yes i can i can do this and so i picked the music and i wanted for my final recital during that time my mother had cancer mm-hmm. and she actually flew to Cal Arts to hear me perform. Wow. And it was a packed recital. And I remember that day, and my mother was very proud of me. And I think that was the last time I like talked to my mother, because then I was going through other transitional phases. Right, right. And it and it took her a while to understand that. But now we're at a better place, my mother and I. Mm-hmm. But I am that's I, I just I can't believe, sometimes I can't believe that I'm here alive.
0: <laughs> Levin. Levin. Well. And as a result, I think your story needs to be told and you need to be seen, you need to be heard, you need to be revered, you need to be celebrated and I celebrate you, Brianna. I really, really do. Oh,
1: thank you, Sister Absolutely,
0: <laughs> absolutely. So tell me, what's on the agenda? What's coming up? Uh, and. I know you're singing yes. with the, so, with, um with the, the, the,
1: the, the big choir. The um Yes, the International Pride Orchestra. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. so I'm singing with them. Um I have a couple of Christmas stuff coming along. And yeah, I have some little things developing in the work, so we'll see how right. it goes. But You know, I have the International Pride Orchestra for next summer, and then I am singing uh, Diadem of the Stars, which was a film that we recorded. So Ruth Dale is a composer and Mariah Garnett, who went to CalArts for the film program. Yeah, so in December, I will be in Los Angeles. The Industry Theater is doing a workshop of Ruth Dale's Diadem of the Stars. And it's a work, um, actually it's an opera that my girlfriend Mariah Garnett, they uh, went to CalArts, graduated from CalArts, and they wanted to do a film of of the work and coming to find out Ruth Dale is Mariah's great, great aunt who created this piece about the relationship between Akhenaten and Nefertiti. And so previously, when she filmed it, I played the daughter of Nefertiti, which was Princess Oxenpotten. So we filmed it. It was hard, difficult music. I have never seen something so difficult. It was a lot of work. And so now she wants to expand it. And what she language actually the same Queen TV. What language is it? It's, it's English. English. Okay. English. It. This so that's great. really cool. This is great. This is
0: great. What <laughs> do you want your legacy to look like? What do you want, do you want to leave
1: behind? <laughs> wow. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I hope that my legacy will not only uplift the trans community and the especially trans women of color, but you know, I want a young trans girl to open a history book and see mm-hmm. my name on that history book and be encouraged that she can do she can do whatever she wants to do in her life. She can be whatever she wants to be. And I hope that my voice will be a vehicle of change. Yeah. That's what my I want my legacy to be, that it's a vehicle of change and a vehicle of understanding and a vehicle of love because we just live in such a dark world and such a trying world and trying times. And I just hope that my legacy will uplift the community and, you know, and and give the community vibrancy and life. So hopefully um, my legacy is worth it. (laughs) I like to bring
0: things into a a more hands-on, immediate context. I like to say, okay, give me five (laughs) things that you would say to a young girl. And for me, one of those things, I'm just going to throw this out so that you know where I'm going with this question. I find that having a tribe is so essential. People that you, Mm -hmm. you are, that hold you accountable, Not just accountability, but they remind you of who you are. Because sometimes we forget, you know, sometimes we we forget who we are. And your tribe reminds you of that from time to time. And you will then remind them. So having a tribe is essential. I know that that is essential for you as well. If you could add a few more things that you would tell a young girl, a young trans girl or young trans boy, man.
1: Yeah. What would some? Yeah, you know... I know it's cliche, but none know, of it is a baby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I say the same thing about stereotypes. Stereotypes <laughs> fixed like, it a little bit. And- Nothing is cliche,
1: <laughs> no. But go ahead. You know, just like never giving up. You know, there were many moments mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. you know, that I wanted to give up singing. I wanted to just give it all up. And because of the experiences that I've experienced, when I look back at all of the wonderful, positive experiences in my life, it gave me the drive to not give up.
0: I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to push this a little bit further. And if you don't want to answer, that's perfectly fine. Did it ever get to the point where you say, where you said to yourself, I don't just want to give up singing. I'm, I'm ready to give up completely. Did it ever get to that point?
1: It almost, yes. I think a couple of months ago, I was, even last month, I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore because it's 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 very challenging, you know, mm-hmm. especially as a trans woman. There's so many complexities and microaggressions that I deal with mm-hmm. that I just am not, I was just like, I can't take it anymore. But then I had to think about it and... You know, like you said, your tribe, it was my tribe that really uplifted me and made sure that, you you know, they reminded me that I've worked so hard to get to where I am today and that giving up, I'm throwing all of that hard work away. And I I, am grateful for my, for my people, my tribe that really uplifts me. And so that's one of the reasons why I didn't give up completely was because of the people that supported me. Thirdly, you know, always be yourself, no matter what, always be authentic. And, you know, Shari always said that to me, being authentic, being authentic. And I never understood it until, you know, when I went to the Berlin Opera Academy in Germany, and I was at a weird position where I felt like I had to be this, oh, classical person. I had to be this, you know this opera singer that was very refined and and i'm not refined; I am just who I am, and so I really had to just embrace it and it's interesting because when you are authentic it comes it shows through your art, it shows through your singing, it shows through your acting, it shows through your drawing, whatever it is, whatever craft an artist is is working on your authentic, your authenticity really shines through that mm-hmm. and I think you know, not trying to compare myself to others. And that's another thats another situation as an artist is most of the times we compare ourselves and we cannot compare ourselves. And that is a danger. And so that's another uplifting and encouraging thing I would give to a trans, a young trans person is that don't compare yourself to anybody, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes I do feel like I'm a little different because, you know, I'm 6'2", I'm a trans woman and sometimes I do I stand out a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had to embrace it and I'm learning now that I'm embracing all of my authentic beings. This is and
0: wonderful.
1: It took me a while because, you know, I grew up in a family who was very critical of everything that I, that I did. Mm-hmm. And so I think now I'm just at a place of welcoming. Who is Brianna Sinclair? Who is she? And why is she doing this? And why is she singing? What what is the meaning of this song? Why what am I sharing for the audience? And so those things I had to really answer for myself. Mm-hmm. Living in your truth is the most beautiful and also exciting mm-hmm. thing because when you're living in your truth, you you are giving room for yourself to evolve. You're giving yourself room to grow and be the best person you can be. Because when you confine yourself to what other people think of you or what people view you as or whatever, it puts you in a place of insecurity and it puts you in a place of, it kind of closes the room for you to grow. And so I had to break what everyone was saying and what they thought of me or perceived of me or whatever. And, you know, I continually deal with that a lot, but I pretty much just ignore it and just sing and let let the anointing on my voice um, bless the audiences. That's, and you said that when
0: you started, that is what I want to do. I want to bless the audiences with my performance. And when you said this, this thing about being refined, getting around that verbiage that has to do with classism and elitism and yes. what the classical canon holds and who's refined and who's not. I would say when I performed Shakespeare, Juilliard, I can remember saying, These people feel the same way I do. These kings and queens that I'm researching the royalty that I'm playing, they have the the same DNA run (laughs) through my blood. And so who's to say what refinement is? Why should we put something on that when these are just basic characters with basic needs? And so when we bring our authenticity to it, it rings true to an audience as opposed to playing the idea of a character. Just get in and find the depth of a character which leads me to ask you, what type of research do you do when you are performing a character? Say, the Nefertiti. What the Nefertiti character, what type of research would you do for that? The character?
1: How can I bring Brianna into this and really, you know, give an audience an experience? So... Yeah, we,
0: absolutely. It gives you a wellspring, a depth of understanding mm-hmm. that can only enrich your performance. I want to know if you've ever had the inspiration to create your own content
1: to compose (laughs) you know i yeah i you know that's so funny that you said that i've had many dreams of composing i've never composed in reality i guess if you want to say but i've had many dreams like of composing a work and i don't know if i'm supposed to be Logging these dreams, <laughs> but I do have these, you know. Um, I have thought about, you know, um, creating music or a song, song book that mm. is specifically for trans voices. Um, and that's always kind of been my goal. Maybe that's something that I would do later in my life. That's something that I would love to do.
0: When you say, Trans voices. Would it be the spoken voice as well as the singing voice, or have you <laughs> yes. it,
1: Denise? I was so nervous for this interview because I'm like, I hate my speaking voice, <laughs> and I'm like, oh lord. Oh, I was that... like, I hope Denise no approves of my speaking
0: voice. <laughs> I love your speaking voice.
1: I think a lot of, especially a lot of trans folks, the speaking voice is such a. It can be very dysphoric sometimes because, Mm -hmm. you know, you want, we're in a society where we're forced to be in sound a certain way. So, you know, when you're applying for a job or, you know, during an interview or whatever, you know, when you speak, there's always a fear with us because we're like, oh my God, is. Someone judging our tone, our timbre, do I sound manly or do I sound this way? And so when I speak, there's always a fear of if I'm sounding, if I'm not sounding classically feminine. And so, and that's always that push and pull. And so I hate speaking. I I love singing because when I open my mouth and sing, you know, it is classically feminine because I'm singing a higher register. But when I'm speaking, you know, my voice has some depth. It has a little bit of bass to it because I do have a big voice and I have a large chest and ribcage capacity that I'm able to sing in large halls without a mic. So I think when I speak, I have some of that, a little bit of bass timbre that kind of...
0: I I tell you, my mind is being blown right now, sweetheart, and I'm so grateful because... You're taking me down a road that I didn't even think we were going to go down. It never even dawned on me that, yes, the speaking voice you might, you know, have issue with because, again, perception. Where does perception. this voice live and does it fit with how I I, I look? Does does it suit the way, mm-hmm. you know, like Shakespeare said, let the action speak, you know, let the action, but the words speak the <laughs> action, the action speak the word. I, I mean... Do, do, does it match essentially? Um, oh no, it's it's let the action suit the word and the word suit the action. And so you're basically saying that does the voice suit the the the, the physical the outward uh, outward appearance of of my femininity? I, I never even even thought of it as a question, let alone an issue. I'm talking about how this conversation of the voice, the the speaking voice, that is being perceived differently than your singing voice, because it is an outward reflection of your femininity. And sometimes that for a lot of trans women and men can come in question. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Come back next week for part two. This is Denise Wood saying, you want more? Find us on whatever podcast platform you use. Subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks a lot. See you next time.